In this episode, we finally get to talk about robot sex. Music! <laughs> Everybody, welcome to the New World Podcast, where we talk about every movie released by New World Pictures. My name is Ryan, and with me, as always, is Mark. Have you ever been to Chicago? And Erica. I lived in Chicago. And from the Brothers from Another Planet podcast, and Freestyle Love Supreme, and the Eliza Schlesinger sketch show, it's our good friend, Tarek Davis. Hey. All right. All right. How you guys doing? Happy to be here. Happy to have you here, Tarek, especially in our sci-fi September, as we talk in this episode about a movie that up until you suggested it, Tarek, not a single one of us had ever seen it or even heard about it. And of course, I'm talking about Android. <laughs> Android. A different kind of science fiction. Introducing Max 404. He's a little over five years old. He's just met his first woman. Call me Maggie. Have you ever been to Chicago? It's time to get down to Earth. There are others like us on Earth, Max, in hiding. And we're going to join them. Android, starring Klaus Kinski. Now, let me get this straight. You've got a... An android. That's uh, like a robot, right? That's correct. And you want to hook me up to this robot and stimulate me. Stimulate like sex, right? Well, that was very well done, Max. Really? Well, I've been doing a lot of research. What kind of work do you do here, Max? I'm Dr. Daniel's assistant, as I said. I've created the prototype of the perfect working class. Android. Much more than human. Do you like chicken? Sure. Hey, voila! But still not perfect. Oh, you're gonna regret this. Android. In Greece. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is 1982's Android from the Greece part of space. Uh, this is a movie we're probably not many people are familiar with. We weren't familiar with, as I said. So, uh, so that leads us to our first segment where we find out what this movie's about. So, Mark, what is this movie about? Well, first off, that trailer tonally is very different than the actual movie, which is why my thought on the plot is a little bit different. Uh, my, I, my takeaway was this is a cautionary tale 
of what happens when you don't have a strong HR department. That's a great, that is a great tilt on this. Ah, this, that was it. That was it. Like this is a, you don't have a strong HR department. You just got Klaus Kinski and his robot in space. Bad hijinks are going to happen. Not the good hijinks, but bad hijinks, which happens. That's just all what this film is about, is bad hijinks. There's a lot of people in this movie that should be on a performance improvement plan. (laughs) In so many ways. That is such a layered statement. So many ways. So many ways. Should people be on a a performance betterment plan? It's like, ooh, guys, ooh. Mm, time out. We can we can do another take in that one. We can give ourselves another take. Come on. Yes, in space, uh, not even HR can hear you scream. Um, Erica, what is this movie about? Oh, thanks for asking, Ryan. You know, I think this movie is about how desirable Earth looks when you're not on it. That's true. That is very true. Particularly if you're an android. Now, Tarek, what is this movie about? I'm so glad you asked. Um, I have maybe an out-of-the-box theory as to what this movie is really about. Okay. Hear me out. What if this movie is kind of a... It's all just one big joke. It's a meta joke from the mind of Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. I really believe that this is just another episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> I truly believe that's what this movie Android is. It's an episode of Seinfeld, and Jerry's got an apartment in space. <laughs> He's got a mad scientist Newman as his master, and Kramer and George and Elaine, they all come and crash his apartment. <laughs> hijinks happen. Hijinks happen. <laughs> but at least that's what I told myself. So I can continue to watch this movie. <laughs> I literally came up with the entire backstory of like, oh, this is like a, a script pitch that George <laughs> had a dream. And was like, it was, it's brilliant, Terry. It's brilliant. And everyone was like, no, it's not. This is the worst. This is the worst movie. And, and like, just an episode of an hour and a half just explaining this movie. That's what this. That's what the movie Android is about. Seinfeld in space. If you if, if this was the last episode of Seinfeld, <laughs> I it, everyone would have been like, slow clap, slow clap, slow clap guys. <laughs> Bravo, you did it. All everything came full circle. <laughs> it was just, it's a it's a movie about nothing. <laughs> So, uh, well, what I think this movie is about is I think that this movie is really about the dangers of keeping a journal, particularly an audio version of a journal that people can hear from the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hear you journaling. (laughs) But for what the filmmakers uh, really think this movie's about, I have to go to 
this issue of Fantastic Films number 32 from February 1983. Wow. Yeah. And we have an interview here. Also, I just want to note, dear listeners, this is in mint condition. Mint condition. This is a mint condition edition. But this is an interview with um, director Aaron Lipstadt. Aaron Lipstadt, director of Battle Beyond the Stars, Saturday the 14th. He was not the director of those, actually. He's not? Oh, it says so on his Wikipedia page. Liars. No, he did work on those movies. He was um, the assistant director on Saturday the 14th, and he was the assistant production manager on Battle Beyond the Stars, and he was also he also played the pizza boy in Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he actually got his start uh, being Corman's assistant, and this is his de- directorial debut, but this is what he says about what Android is about. Um, basically, it's taken from the idea that as systems get more complex, there are more variables to deal with, and nature of more randomness develops. If you make machines as intelligent as humans then the complexities lead them to make their own decisions. It's based on the premise that someday we'll make thinking machines that will make decisions for themselves. Can we rewind a minute? He starts that whole thing with, basically. (laughs) (laughs) You know what this movie's about? Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, I really enjoyed your film. I'm just still trying to figure out, like, what are the things? Basically. (laughs) (laughs) kind of an asshole (laughs) yeah especially for such an obscure little film like we had never seen it had you seen this movie before mark no well i don't think you're alone because i don't think a lot of people saw this movie when it came out in 1982 it actually followed blade runner which came out earlier that year and both movies are about androids though the word android was not really in vogue at the time. It wasn't a word that was actually commonly used, even though we knew what androids were at that point. It just wasn't a word that we often used. Right. In uh, Blade Runner, of course, they're called replicants, and in this one they are called androids, as the title would suggest. But it was just not a word that was uh, very common. So that's why in the movie Android, they have to explain what an android is so many times. So many times. So many times. Hey, uh, what's an android? Basically. (laughs) That's what this whole movie is. (laughs) It's a a movie. It's a, it's a collection of lecture vignettes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I would like to point out, and I realized in 1982, we didn't use the term android a lot. Right. But, in 2036, logging into a computer got a shit ton easier. There's no username or password. You just touch a red button on a screen. Yep. There's like no two-factor authentication, which I guess in 82, we didn't know that fucking term either. Uh, there, you know, video games got real easy. They, we just, real simplified. We just go straight back to the 80s. Yes. And... Uh, like having a cellular cellular call was now basically an analog call where you might have like in the background. So, yeah. I mean, things. Uh, in this is only sixteen years in the future of from today. Wow. Yeah. I also. I, I can't wait. Shit's going to be really easy. 
everyone also agreed. I don't know if you paid attention to the the costuming choices in the film, but oh, everyone yes. agreed. Was like, look, I don't really care what you're doing up top. Yes, do what you want to do. <laughs> do what you want to do. But we will rock. We will rock these tight sweatpants as a uniform. Both cops and criminals, androids, scientists, everybody. We all rock the same pants. Everybody <laughs> rocks pajamas in space. <laughs> like, I was like, why is everyone wearing the same pants? I mean, Max wears those pajamas like for the entire film. He's just only wearing pajamas. Entire film. But okay, let's back up here real quick. Before we get too far down the road on this, um, I just wanted to ask real quick, Tarek, you chose this movie, and I just wanted to ask, why Android? Basically. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I chose Android because, uh, like I believe, like all of us, I also grew up in the 80s. Right. And my parents were one of the first on our block to have HBO. And HBO... Uh, for that it raised me because you know they would work and like i was one of those kids it's like oh, i'm fine I don't, i'm not going anywhere and so i would just be sitting in front of the television good or bad but i remember android uh in the very early 80s um and i remember watching it and not liking it as a kid like i remember like being way too young to have like critical opinions on films <laughs> We're just being like, mm-mm, this ain't hitting. This isn't it. <laughs> like, you guys need another take. But it stuck with me. Like, it was so bad, it stuck with me. Because I had Star Wars. Uh-huh. You even had, like, you know, Battle Beyond the Stars. I just remember, like, okay, well, at least the monsters look like monsters or something like that. But it made an impression on how bad it was. And I hadn't seen it since the 80s. So watch it again. It's definitely not an easy movie to find because it is not available to stream anywhere. YouTube. You have to go on YouTube. Yeah. Yes, that's true. It's only available on YouTube. Though there is a Anchor Bay DVD that they released in 2004, which I was able to pick up on eBay. Whoa. So uh, this one has like a director's commentary from Aaron Lipstadt wow. and writer and actor Don Keith Opper. And that's what I watched for this podcast. Imagine that seller's delight. Finally, someone has purchased Android on DVD. Hard work pays off, you know? John, John, it's been years. You got to get back to work. No one's buying this film. Trust me. Trust me. It's going to sell. It's going to sell. John, how much do you have to lose? Your wife left you. Your kids don't talk to you. No one is going on eBay to buy this movie. At this point, you've paid more in relisting fees than the value of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think there could be a good reason why this movie drifted into obscurity. Now, it's obviously a New World movie, so it was made on a low budget, about $500,000. It was actually shot once they, you know, had turned in their various drafts of the script, Once they started production, I think like in March, um, the movie was basically shot and edited and ready for test screenings by fall of the same year. So 
Uh, and that's all that New World did. They only were there for the test screenings. Um, they wanted to test market first, which, of course, was something Roger Corman always did. But director Aaron Lipstadt and the producers, they kind of saw this as a artier movie than the typical Corman fair. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to go to college towns uh, to which uh, Corman suggested Spokane, Washington and Las Vegas. <laughs> Don Keith Opper says that the Las Vegas screen had about three people in it because he was there. Once Corman watched it, he called it a nice little picture, but he didn't know how to sell it as an exploitation movie. Yeah. 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 I wonder why. So in 1983, the producers bought back the rights for the movie from Roger so they could release it themselves in what Don Keith Opper called in the director's commentary a sound business decision. <laughs> um, director Aaron Lipstadt said that if they could have found a million people to pay four or five dollars to see the movie, they would have done just fine. But instead, they only found about 10,000. That math, that math still applies today. I, if I can convince a million people to spend four or five bucks on something that I made, I'll be fine. I'll be <laughs> I would even accept 10 million people giving me one dollar, quite frankly. <laughs> but the real issue of going independent from Corman was the fact that there wasn't a real indie movie scene at the time that would come towards the end of the 1980s. And not only that, but there also really wasn't much of a video cassette or a home video market at yeah. that time. So they really didn't have a whole lot of options when it came to selling the movie. So the movie did get a limited release. And played apparently very well in New York uh, yeah. at the Waverly Theater, if you know that one, Tarek. Yeah. Um, so, but it didn't, you know, obviously wasn't a huge financial success. Yeah. So now that I have declared this movie a bomb, let's talk about it. <laughs> Android. This is the directorial debut of Aaron Lipstadt, uh, who, as I said, worked his way through New World Pictures. This is also the debut of Don Opper. No. Known also as Don Keith Opper. He co-wrote the script with James Regal, and this is his very first performance on screen. And he, of course, is uh, playing Max 404, though he goes uncredited in the movie. He's, uh, Max 404 plays himself in the credits. Um, as if, I guess, we would be confused and think that they actually created an android for the movie. <laughs> Don Opper had actually also worked his way through New World Pictures. He had actually worked as a carpenter. And he actually even worked as a carpenter on this movie because uh, he actually made some of the doors for the set. Hmm. He even points out the specific door in the director's commentary. Uh, And appropriately, we open on Max. Uh, He is actually at the console that Mark talked about earlier. And he's uh, exploring and learning about human sexuality um, in a piece that actually the director says that he was worried might lose them their PG rating, which actually leads me to ask, did you realize that this movie was PG? No, I did not. Yeah, it is rated PG. Really? I, I think there's full bush in this movie. Is that? No, no, no. There's boobs in the movie, but I don't think there's any. Sorry, semi-bush? Half-bush? There's there's a bush. There's a there's a wink at Bush, a bush <laughs> wink. I think the moment you're talking about is the moment that Dr. Daniel is creeping in on Maggie while she's changing her clothes, but I I don't think that there is I don't think there's a full nudity in that scene. 
Well, while there's not a full nudity, as Ryan mentioned, this does introduce a titty count, which by my calculations, boop, beep, beep, boop, should be one in Maggie. Oh, but well, that's there's actually also, though, later on, Cassandra, which is the android that uh, Dr. Daniel is making that would re- would replace Max 404, that uh, that she also he has a scene where he kind of creeps on her a little bit oh, and takes her tunic off or undoes her tunic so he can feel her boobs. So that that would that would be a second one, right? Did either did either the woman were they ever in the scene together? Uh, yes, one briefly, right? Yes, there's a scene where uh, and we're really getting ahead of ourselves here, but where Maggie asks Max to take her to see the android, Cassandra. Right. And so they go and they have sort of a romantic encounter there and it sort of sparks Cassandra to life. But romantic encounter does not mean he, he, you know, took the road to Boner Town. He just, like, they kiss a little (laughs) and then she realizes that that he's an android and freaks out, right? Yeah, and that kind of struck me as weird. I mean, because how did she know he was an android? I would argue, how did she not know? He right. he's he's always like this with his arms, and right. he, he just sort of does this. So how- well, there, there are a few. So all right, I have a few questions. All right, so he uses the force. Does anybody <laughs> remember? It's what they do it once. It's like, Max has a food tray slide across the floor into his hand without even looking at it. Yeah, and for I, I would just I'll simplify. Let's just simplify. Call him Space Jerry. <laughs> Space Jerry uses the force. <laughs> he uses the force once. What's up with these machines that make your food? <laughs> I love you. He's got a southern twinge. <laughs> Making your dinner. That was not my best. <laughs> it's like Jerry the Fox. <laughs> it's but, like Clint. It's like Clint Seinfeld. It's a Clint Seinfeld. That was a uh, pretty terrible Seinfeld. Terrible Seinfeld. But he uses the Force, and like he, it's like. Uh, but that leads me to so uh, there is like a an odd you know a square peg in a round hole. And that is the actor of Norbert Weiser who played Keeler? Keller. Uh, Keller? Yeah. Norbert Keller. Weiser, if you don't know, uh, you would recognize him. He's a profound, very talented actor. Is not bad in this, just does not fit. But you would recognize him from most recently, uh, he's most known probably for playing the German uh, that works with Gus Frigg in both Better Call Saul and its predecessor, Breaking Bad. But he was in like Midnight Run. He was in Schindler's List, Chaplin. Like, he's like an actor. Mark and I would also know him from John Carpenter's The Thing, where he played one of the Norwegians, the pilot in the very beginning of the helicopter, who gets out and takes the gun and shoots at the dog. Yeah. Nice pull. Gary got to use his pop gun. But uh, I'd like to point out, are we are we dueling between Tarek's research corner and Ryan's research corner right oh. now? Because I feel like, Erica, you and I, you and I can leave, and they can just fight it out for the next half hour. It's buddy versus buddy research <laughs> corner. It is Ryan versus Tarek, Tarek versus Ryan, buddy versus buddy research corner. I, I had to do some research because I was like, 
one, I know that actor. But then how are you going to have a scene where you see someone use the force and then, like, nothing? Yeah, he sees it and he goes, like, huh. And then, like, never brings it up again. Which is why this has to be an episode of Seinfeld. What do you mean that doesn't do anything? He doesn't do anything. <laughs> um, so, hey, before we, we, we've gotten uh, way ahead of ourselves. So let's just back up real quick so that uh, people that haven't seen this movie maybe know where we are. So this whole movie takes place on a space station where it's just Max and Dr. Daniel, played by Klaus Kinski. And then three prisoners break out of, I don't know, the prison ship. They break out of their prison cells inside the prison ship, and they get onto the ship uh, because Max allows them on. Um, As we mentioned, one of those actors is Norbert Weiser. He plays Keller. Uh, and the the actress who plays Maggie is Brie Howard. She was married at the time to composer James Howard and was a drummer in an all-girls band. In fact, mm. the director says he just ran into her at a party and then asked her to audition. And she never really acted again after this part. Tarek, did you have that in your research? About Brie, about Brie Howard? No. No, no, no. He, he nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a 1-0 in Ryan's favor right now. So we're going to keep a tally. Uh, oh, I'm keeping a tally. A buddy tally. Yeah. I just want to, I'm just waiting for when you get to my favorite actor, <laughs> Crofton Hardester. <laughs> yeah, Crofton Hardester. He actually plays Mendez. He's mostly a TV actor. No. Yeah, it's true. He did do some film roles, um, and he had a small role in Saving Private Ryan, but that's basically where his credits stop. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure how intense Crofton played senior medical officer in Saving Private Ryan, but as Mendez, he's really going for it. He he worked a little too hard. He could have he pulled back a little bit. I feel like he asked the director how to play the character, and the director was like, well, you know, Mendez is kind of angry, but he's also... No, angry. Okay, no, I got it. No, I got it. Angry. No, I got it. Angry. So angry. So angry. I mean, from the very beginning, when they first get on the ship and Keller introduces him as Popoff, he gets instantly angry. Like, don't call me Popoff. I'm a Popoff. Uh-huh. And Keller's like, hey, you know, because it's on his uniform that they stole the uniforms from the cops. And it's like he is just instantly angry at literally everything. Keller's just trying to smooth out the situation. And he's just instantly angry. Keller doesn't care about such things. Keller also is the world's worst hand-to-hand combatants in the entire galaxy. Just trash. Just utter trash. Gets his ass kicked numerous times in this film. Yes. Yes, he does. He does. Numerous times. He has no defense to his fight game. None at all. It's just... just, I'm going to just take this one. I, I, I can outlast you just by... I'll take more hits. Yeah, he's not. It's like, all right, well, maybe you got a strong chin. Nah, <laughs> nah, I ain't got a strong chin. Well, maybe like, oh, maybe you're like wiry and like devious. Nah, I'm not devious. <laughs> or maybe like, or maybe he's got a secret plan. He's got like a little a secret weapon. Something. Nah, man, why you keep starting fights, Kelly? You're the worst at this. <laughs> you're the worst. But that's why Keller is my favorite because he's so bad at fighting. He's so bad. He gets his ass whooped and eventually dies. <laughs> 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 he, 
Maybe he just never comes back and it's like, okay, you got your ass beat so many times. I guess you just deserve to go down. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like he dies. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it was written in the script. Question mark. <laughs> Norbert Weiser was really confused that day. Guys, um, is this my choice? <laughs> Can I like not come back tomorrow? <laughs> a significant thing that happens once the prisoners get on the ship is that we have a very Shakespearean moment uh, that I alluded to in the beginning where Max comes in and he overhears Dr. Daniel talking about how he's going to replace Max with his new Android creation. And that sets everything in motion for Max. That is, he now needs this crew of prisoners to get himself to earth so he can not be replaced on this ship. And yeah. he starts even, he even packs a suitcase filled with an extra arm and an extra eyeball, some fingers. <laughs> Some fingers. He packs light. He packs light. He packs light. It's like uh <laughs> extra pair of jammies, an extra jammies, arm, an eyeball. And don't forget that fedora. Yeah. He packed a suitcase of a toddler. <laughs> Just whatever was available in front of him, he threw in a suitcase. He's like, This is traveling. He is only five years old. Remember, they make a point out of that. So oh. Fedora, he's like, I'm a big boy now going on a plane ride. <laughs> so you can understand. He's five. He's five. He's uh, got the hormones of a 25-year-old and the mental yeah. capacity of a five-year-old. Yeah. His I, hormone chip was very advanced, but everything else was at toddler level. I mean, I have a question about Max because, and, and, and if you are worried about spoilers, because you should, and you should watch this movie. You really should watch this movie. I mean, are we now? Are we it's on YouTube? But Wait, are we now giving a shit about spoilers? We never have in the twenty other episodes that we've done. We we give a shit a lot about spoilers in the twenty other episodes, Mark. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, uh, he he, we we have Doctor Daniels created Max, and he is clearly he when he decided to make an android, he decided to give an android a giant space between his front teeth. Well. <laughs> Like, was he just like, is that just to like make him seem more real or is, I mean, cause he's making Cassandra to be the perfect woman, quote unquote. Yeah. But he clearly was like Max. He's like, man, this guy's kind of a fuck up. I this mean, guy looks like a dope. Did he cut some quarters on Max? For sure. He <laughs> yeah. did. He definitely did. He oh, did. Yeah. In, in, in the, in the software programming world, we call that tech debt. These are things that you were like. I'll get to that. But right now we got to look at the big picture. We need to launch. Okay. So after we launch, we'll do a soft launch and uh, of Max, and then we'll fix the team. And you just never get back to it. You're like, yeah, but, you know, he's also uh, doesn't really understand how to use the force. Uh, he can't uh, straighten his arms. So maybe we focus on those items and we'll get to the teeth after that. Yeah. But well, first, another first. Theory. Well, we got to talk about Dr. Daniels and those naps. Because his naps <laughs> take utter precedence over everything. Yeah. My my groundbreaking Android research, second. Yeah. My naps <laughs> don't wake me up. 
before you go go, because I got to take a nap. Yeah, when when the prisoners get on board the space station, Dr. Daniel is asleep. And Dr. Daniel makes sure to tell Max, don't fuck around. I Don't mess with me. I am going to take a nap. You do not mess with me. But here's the thing. If Max is five, maybe Dr. Daniels is like two and a half. So by that logic, he needs that afternoon napper. He's a nightmare he's a, later. He's a nightmare, yeah. That's a good point. Well, see, that goes to my theory is that because, and here's where we get into the spoiler territory, as we find out at the end, Dr. Daniel is also an android. <gasps> and uh, so does he make Max not as perfect so that he can make sure that Cassandra doesn't like mess with Max? <laughs> You're not going to get into a gap tooth, dude. Also, also, make also did Max's maker fuck with him to be like, you're two and a half, but I'm going to make you look like you're 72 years old? Possibly. That happening. Because this is only, all this is just confirming my theory that this is a Seinfeld episode. I, I think you're right. <laughs> just the idea of just like, yeah, I'm going to make this incredible android. She's going to be gorgeous. And uh, she's totally going to fall for me. <laughs> not fall for this guy. He's, he's, he's got, he's got a gap in his teeth. <laughs> I may look old. Yeah. But I don't have a gap between my teeth. So I got when... that classic. I got that classic European, like, I got the, the sweater vest. <laughs> Of the cardigan and the, you know, the hands in the pocket and sweeping my hair. Like, classic, classic, classic. He's in his pajamas. Klaus Kinski, of course, is in this, and he was sort of the big name of it. Uh, He was actually just coming off of another New World movie called Fitzcarraldo, which which is a foreign film, where he had, which we will eventually get to in this podcast, where he had, he apparently was an absolute nightmare to deal with. So getting him for this is kind of a coup. The director thinks that he maybe chose this movie because he had a young son, like I think a five-year-old, and who was into sci-fi. So he thought, here, this might be a movie that his son might like. But uh, in in my book uh, about New World, which is called uh, Mind Warp, the fantastic true story of Roger Corman's New World Pictures, I... I believe he says the the director says that basically uh, Klaus Kinski could would work with anyone who would meet his price, and as long as he could meet his price, he would be there. And, uh, and a so, man, a man with scruples. Yes. <clears throat> and in the uh, in the audio commentary for the movie, uh, apparently the cast was extremely excited to work with him. He was extremely excited to work with any woman on set. And when he came in for his very first scene, which is the very first scene where he meets the prisoners or the, sorry, I'm not, uh, the, yeah, I guess, well, yeah, escape prisoners. the escaped prisoners. Um, when he meets them, that's his very first scene. He basically told the director he did not do any, he did not rehearse the scene with the actors whatsoever. They were all pumped to work with him. He comes in, he goes, I come here, I stand there, I say, blah, blah, blah. I say the line, that's it. So that's basically how he approached the scene. He would not uh, do any rehearsal. He would just come in there and you had to deal with him live on the spot. You know what? If uh, 
you had a trivia game and you asked me like describe like Klaus Kinski's method on the film of Android, <laughs> it would be exactly that, what you described. <laughs> word for word. But the best revenge I think that Max gets on him is because not only is Dr. Daniel building his own particular perfect android woman, but he also hits on Maggie and sets her up for a dinner date, which I believe is the only other, uh, the actual only live place that they go to, which is, I think, the L.A. Arboretum. It is, yeah. Uh, to shoot to shoot out in his garden. And Max gets him back, or does he, when he tries to pour wine and it's just a bunch of little... BBs? BBs, BBs. Like, See, that's where Max's was toddler... Was Max fucking with him on that, or I what? I don't know. I think that's where it's either toddler Max is like adults drink BBs (laughs) or he was messing with them. But if we're going by he's five based on his packing skills, then yeah, would my toddler fill my wine bottle up with BBs? 100%. Yeah, because he does blow up like a police ship comes towards them and he blows them up because that is like the video game that he's playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. where he blows up spaceships and he basically looks at that as like, this is just a video game and I'm blowing up a spaceship. Yeah. So I'm like, does he, is he that childlike or, or because Dr. Daniel was hitting on, on Maggie, was he just kind of like getting his revenge? Which one do you think it is? Mm. I think, I think it's uh, I really think this is just a huge, like almost, game of telephone between Jerry and George writing this movie. And I think all of these answers are correct from a certain point of view. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think like, you know, you know, if, if you're Jerry, it's, it's, it's Erica's point of view. You know, it's, he's, he's a five-year-old, but if you're George, you're spiteful. George wants him to drink BBs because that's what happened to him when he was like in high school or something. Because that would be a real George move to be like, "Oh, you're hitting on the same woman I like." Yeah. Oh, I tell you what, I'm gonna set you. Oh, I'm gonna set up your date, and instead of wine, it's gonna be a bunch of BBs. I'll tell you what, I would love to read this script. <laughs> I would love to just like to read this script of like what, like to see the format, to see right. like. Where they put question marks and exclamation part. I want to see their punctuation. I want to know, like, what were, like, how did this happen? Like, and they made them work for this because they had to do, like, five drafts of the script before Corman would sign off. Like, was it just five pages? <laughs> was the first draft just the page? And they was like, no, guys. Okay. Second draft, two pages? Guys, come on. A little bit more, a little bit more. Put some effort into it. <laughs> That's how much you would like. This is like you, to try to squeeze two hundred fifty thousand out of Corman. You you really had to go to work. Ooh. He would not give that up. And they like, I'm trying to like, where did the money go? Like the sets were all reused. I guess Klaus Kinski. That was his price. Uh, uh, probably a good amount of it goes to that. There is some that is going to go into the effects. The effects didn't cost a ton. The effects budget was about $20,000 mm. of the 500. 
so not a ton in terms of the effects. Right. The, the 250, as the director says, essentially was like the equipment, the camera equipment, the lighting equipment, and uh, the studio space. So essentially you're getting that. Though that was only for about 19 days they were in that studio because they also spent a day in the Arboretum shooting those scenes in Dr. Daniel's, I don't know, fuck garden or whatever that is. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, the whole the whole thing is wow. big. That's his pad, man. That's his pad for a whole bunch of just freaky stuff. Yeah. I thought it was his nap garden. Yeah. It, I mean, it serves as both. You do the freaky stuff and you're, you're beat. I felt like it was the lunch garden. <laughs> it's all of those things. That's where he does all oh. of it. That's where he hangs out. It's a real multi-purpose space. <laughs> it's a real romper room. It's a real romper room. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, we didn't even talk about like the little Android toys that we're making out. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. That was the Android toys that were cuddling and then the cartoon was yeah. the full on cartoon. You mean during the 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 uh title sequence? Yeah. In the beginning when uh, Space Jerry is he's masturbating to uh <laughs> space cartoons. He takes those he takes those two uh like toy androids with him in his suitcase. Of he's, course he does. It's his only toys. It's his toys. So I will just add one of those spa- uh, little toy androids had space android boobs. That's right. So that would that would up the count. Oh my god, you're so right. You're so wise. Hmm. It's three. I will also, I will also Tara turns that, a point for that. Even though it's not a full research, that is that is observing yeah. the nuance of this film. Mm. That's a TTC, that right there. That's a Tarek titty wow. count. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. That's an official TTC. I will also <laughs> mention that the director said during the scene where he plays with the dolls after meeting the prisoners and he does a voice for the female doll, he says that it's possible since James Cameron worked on this movie that he saw that because he eventually uses Arnold Schwarzenegger being able to imitate other people's voices, much like the android did in this movie. So, oh, could be where he initially saw that idea. I mean, that's oh. that's a real. Who said that? That's, that's a the director. That's the director. <laughs> that is a stretch. That's a that stretch. Is a stretch. That is a stretch. That is a reach. <laughs> that is- that's, that's every time that friends go over, new friends go over to that guy's house, that director's house, they're like, seriously, I'm telling you, don't bring up uh, uh, James Cameron. Don't mention his name. He gets real friggin' sensitive, and he's gonna tell you the story about how James Cameron ripped him off, and it's a serious. I can't go through it again. Hey, hey, guys, it's me, Aaron Lipstadt. Did you mention you guys talk about Terminator? You guys yeah. talk about Terminator? No, no, no. We got. You know, I know James Cameron, right? You know, I know James Cameron. Right? Problem. We're talking about getting an exterminator. Nothing. Oh, well, because like in Terminator, the Terminator can like imitate any voice, which is kind of what happened in my movie, right. Android. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. guys haven't seen Android? Let me put it on real quick. No. Oh, God, no. Shoot, I, sorry. I don't even have the DVD because of a lot of bad mistakes. We're going to have to watch it on YouTube. No, actually, I've got a 16 millimeter print. Let me just spool it up really quick here. Guys, let's we head out to the garage so we can watch this movie. So I'm going to have to ask you to leave the Best Buy. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not leaving until we oh, all sit down and watch this movie. Guy, I work at the Best Buy. Why am I getting kicked out again? <laughs> Gotta go. Yeah. So let's, um, let's let's talk about what goes from there. Uh, Max blows up that police ship. He thinks that he has a little date with Maggie. Mm-hmm. He uh, basically uh, s- sets off Cassandra to to basically come online. I don't know how to say it. Come, uh, g- she comes alive. I guess yeah. in a way. Uh, uh, she he turns her on, if you will. No one's oh. going to help me. No one's going to help me. Figure it out. Figure out your description. No one help him. What's... Figure it out. <laughs> um, and then he decides to pack up. He's going to go with them, even though Maggie is clearly thrown off by the fact that he's an android. Cassandra's an android. He still thinks, I'm in this mix to get back to Earth with these prisoners. And as soon as he's deciding he's going to go with them, they start fighting each other like crazy. Uh, obviously, uh, our, our <laughs> why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Keller, obviously Keller is going to get his ass beat here because he has to, because that is how this movie goes. Yeah. Uh, he, he, uh, because it's been too long since he's been punched in the face. It has. Has really wanting to punch Keller in the face? Yeah, I mean, you know, feel something, guy. <laughs> if you, you know what, Keller, if you see something, say something. Punch, Come on, man. Uh, just um, go ahead, go ahead, Tarek. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, I just wanted just one different tactic from Keller. Just like, I mean, he kind of picks up an android hand to fight in the end, but like, just one. Just do one something, man. Like, bite. Run away. Yeah. I would be happy if he ran away. If, like, yeah. he would punch, it didn't work, and then he was like, ooh, ooh, and, like, ran away. <laughs> like, literally do this with his hands. And that would have been more exciting than, uh. Me think, what was he imprisoned for? Being boring? I mean, what was his crime? I can't, I'm, I'm so ashamed that I actually remember. <gasps> he, uh, he was, like, he was, like, bombing like corporate like malfeasance he was just like really he was uh he was like a terrorist i believe he was a yeah. political terrorist i think oh. yeah i think that uh maggie is the one who does like actual killings and i think of all the people like mendez is not the one who's who's up for like mur- he's not a prisoner because of murders he's like just like a thief like he just stole stuff i believe yeah. So through all he lists, they list like all of their crimes. Yeah, they do, and I, I yeah, I remember his being really unimpressive. I can't specifically remember what they were. Yeah, but uh, it's my guess that the actor who played Mendez, I think he just improvised every scene <laughs> uh, against the wishes of the writers and directors and other actors on set. And so this is kind of, but this is what they got. So it's worth mentioning his name again, Crofton <laughs> Hardister. Yes. I, uh, I'm Crofton Hardister. I'm here to audition for the role of Mendez. <laughs> 
But uh, let I me ask this. I'm pretty you... white. I'm pretty white, and I don't have as white a name as Crofton Hardister. <laughs> Aaron, are you, are you sure he's the only actor that showed up for the role of Mendez? He's the only one. <laughs> we can't double cast. We can't. We only let him on set because we thought he was from the law firm of Crofton and Hardister. We didn't know. But he was a lawyer. Probably uh, he was going to sue us. Probably he was going to sue us. We got to hire him. Uh, how did how did Keller get to be part of that crew? Because both of them seemed to hate him. It would, is it just bad luck? Did he Was he a stowaway? And they were like, oh, crap. You're on the ship? He All right. A, by 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 Tarek's metaphor, he is essentially he, uh, <laughs> he he's not he's not George, he's not Jerry. You know what I mean? He's like, Newman or they're just like uh, <laughs> All right. I was not going to say Newman, but that is perfect. <laughs> he just showed up and he's like I got mail and they're like all right, whatever. Part of the Part of the fun for people who've never seen this film, but like after hearing this, they're like, I'm not going to watch this. But if you end up watching this, part of the fun is figuring out like, all right, you know who Space Jerry is once you see him. Who is Space George? Who is Space Elaine? Who's Space Kramer? Who's Space Newman? Like, it's a a little fun of a, it's a bit of a puzzle. Like, I like to think like, who would they cast themselves at? Who I would say Doctor Daniel is Kramer. Ooh, okay. Because hmm. he's always busting in on him when you don't want him there, but he just shows up. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, kinda, I liken him to George Steinbrenner. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, Mark, going for the periphery on the Seinfeld characters. Right, I'll give you. I'll give you my uh, Seinfeld bracket. All right, so I got. My, I got my space, Jerry. I'm thinking Mendez is Kramer. He's got the aggressive energy. Okay. Okay. He's, he's the tall guy. Uh, sure. It's. I'm just. I'm only. He's the I'm tall it. He's the tall it. I don't know if I'm. I'm. I'm not going to give him tall, but he is the tallest. He's he the tallest. Unforgivable choices later. <laughs> a la Kramer. So many unforgivable choices. I, love I will say that Keller is George. Here's why. Ooh. Ooh. I can see George in the script process. Like, uh, I'm German. <laughs> what? <laughs> pretty, pretty German guy. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah, I'm German. Like, I just see George Costanza pitching himself as a pretty German guy who can do absolutely nothing useful. Uh, Maggie, I think, is Maya Lane. Sort of by default, but yes, yeah. By default, and then I would also say, then there's an Elaine 2.0. Yeah. Because she's the smartest of everyone there. But that's my Seinfeld bracket. And I would go, Dr. Daniels is Newman. Oh, Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting twist. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, but guys, you can play this at home. You can make your (laughs) own. We would go through all our brackets, but that would ruin the home version of this game. Yeah. So we can't do that. Let's go into things we love and things we hated. Sure. Mm. Honestly, there's a lot to love in this movie. I I loved a lot of it. Uh, The thing, though, that I'm going to give the special shout out, I wouldn't say that it's the only thing I loved, 
but it is it it's one of the things i loved is the soundtrack i mean the soundtrack for this movie it was all done by yeah. don preston who had played uh 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 with frank zappa on numerous albums and was kind of just getting into doing soundtracks at the time um he this is everything the closing track you're talking about sorry what was that everything but you're talking about everything but the closing track. everything but the closing track where it sounds like we're at a greek wedding but uh correct the synthesizer soundtrack um and you know uh, so he built the soundtrack mostly off an oberheim ob8 which is a polyphonic synthesizer that was made by oberheim it's like one of the oh, most sought after we crunching, we crunching the keyboard numbers of synthesizers in that you can't there is not an equivalent or it hasn't been remade um and it's one that uh i mean everyone from depeche mode to prince to the police um and it's still extremely expensive to buy now there's one on reverb right now for sixty three hundred dollars uh which is a lot for a keyboard that was made in the early 80s but he also uh uh included like some of the lead synths was a mini Moog, which of course was sort of like the, 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 the prototypical mono synth at the time, but he also used a Moog or a Moog modular, which is so hard to find uh, of the original. Uh, but Moog did come out recently over the last year or two with a remake, a limited edition remake of the Moog modular synthesizer uh what do you think that would run you it's uh it's this is a modular so no safe patches it's not polyphonic meaning you only play one note at a time uh and uh it's it's like three suitcases uh in size uh what do you think that's going to run you for the for for a new mode modular i mean that all sounded like gobbledygook so eight hundred thousand dollars i don't know (laughs) Tara? I will go. Uh, sounds expensive. Sounds like a niche item. So yeah. I would like for like a really in the know music like the Fictionado. Twenty five. And in this game of uh, <clears throat> one dollar, right? Yeah, you go I'm, gonna go, I'm going one dollar. I'm going one dollar. One dollar. Yeah. All right. So Sweetwater has one for sale right now. The shipping on it is thirty five hundred bucks, so you know you're going to get something good. This thing's going to run you thirty five thousand dollars. Okay. Wow. Dang. That's twenty five. I was uh, yeah. ten thousand off. Yeah, that's still pretty good. I was like, oh wow, you know your synthesizers, Tarek. But uh, he used uh, some iconic synthesizers, and uh, I love the soundtrack. So there you go. Yeah, just a quick footnote to that last song that goes on the the sort of Greek Welcome to America song that is played at the end of the movie. <clears throat> that is actually a song called Sergio Leone by the L.A. Los Angeles-based band Fibonacci. Hmm. Uh, it's named after the Italian mathematician and Lipstadt, the director, he found the record at a Rose Bowl flea market. Hmm. Wow. I think you were in ter- you were in the second point for that one, wow. so it's two to one now. That's a it's a deep cut. That's that a deep cut. cut. That's a deep cut. I'm you're ha- gonna you're gonna need stitches for that cut. 
Erica, thing, things you loved. Oh my gosh. I too loved everything about this movie. Darn it. I was charmed by it. Oh, and I, I was. I would be. I really liked it from start to finish. But I think if I'm honest, what I loved the most about it is kind of almost a sad scene because it's when Dr. Daniels, spoiler, is replacing the chip on Max and he's kind of taking out the chip that makes him mm. nice and makes him helpful and gives him a conscience and he makes him like a machine, like a kind of a killing machine. Mm-hmm. Just his his portrayal of that. Now he kind of like... Like, I can hear boats. Oh. Yeah. yeah I yeah. just, I love that. I thought that was so great. And it was just such a neat interpretation of, we've all seen like the powering down of the robot or the powering down of the droid scene. And I thought that was just such a sweet, like, I don't know, almost like infantile and kind of like a heartbreaking breakdown of that of yeah. that character. Yeah. I love that scene. You know what? We, we, we shit on this movie quite a bit, but it, it has moments. Tarek, things that you loved. Uh, well, I mean, I love that scene for a different reason because I love uh, seeing Space Jerry go Terminator <laughs> and <laughs> kill Mendez. I, lo- I could watch Mendez die all day. I could watch Mendez be killed on repeat. Uh, I it's my favorite. It was my as a kid. I remember that scene as a kid. I remember loving it, and I love it as an adult. I love that five year old me and forty year old me are in complete agreement. Space rapists need to die. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? What'd you love? Well, I mean. We kind of covered a lot of it. I obviously have a real kinship with Norbert Weiser because who plays Keller because he is so shitty at fighting. And so am I. And I would just, I would be like, he gets a chokehold on Mendez, but then Mendez just like elbows him in the gut. And that is it. He is done for the fight. And I feel like that's probably me. If I'm going to be honest with myself about myself and my fighting abilities, I'm probably going to be like, I, I I, have in me probably one good punch. And then after that, it's just a lot of failures. So I have to kind of hand it to Keller. Like, I was with you, my man. I was with you on that. Um, I'm also like, I think Don Opper puts in a really good performance as he Max does. 404. He this does. is his first movie ever. He co-wrote the script. I think he is awesome in this movie. He's really subtle. He's not overplaying it, unlike Mendez, who is overplaying it to a huge degree. Ooh, I'm angry, right? I'm angry, right? <laughs> Yeah, but not all the time. <laughs> I have no levels. I have one level. I'm just at, at, at 15, right? I'm at 15 uh, all the time. It's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry. Make some food, Max. No, no, no. Just take it down a little. You're, he's just going to try to go through the machine and make you food. Um, but yeah, I, I think... The only guy we could get hired is the only one that showed up for the audition. <laughs> He's all the, he's the only guy. Only guy. All right. All right. Action. (laughs) 
Um, so I really like Don Opper's performance in this. I really dig this. To switch now to things I hated. So let's switch to that, and then we'll come. We'll we'll go to everyone else. There's a few moments now. I re- I have to say, like Mark and and Erica, uh, you know, there's an element of <laughs> because we watch all New World movies that that, that I think the 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 bar is sometimes isn't huge for you to cross for me to love this movie and uh, to love a movie and i really enjoyed this movie but there's a few moments where i think this movie really falters right and there's that that moment that's supposed to be so significant which is the spark that sort of sets cassandra off it's talked about that he you know dr daniel talks to maggie about trying to maybe hook her up to the machine and try to see if he can spark his creation and it sort of happens it happens in such a split second that it it just doesn't work it just doesn't work like she just kind of cassandra then just sort of gets up off the table and comes alive like bride of frankenstein or something it just doesn't really work at all it's it's a moment that should work and it doesn't work um the fucking flashlight that fucking flashlight is what the fuck is with that flashlight now I can tell you what they said in the commentary because they find this flashlight. There's actually a scene where they sort of quickly show you this flashlight that he finds underneath Maggie's body. Uh, And it's sort of a flash forward moment. And in that moment, when they show, when they watch in the movie, Don Opper is actually like, what is that? He didn't even remember that moment when they show it as a flash forward. But when you, when you see it happen live later, the whole moment is meant to tell you what, when he lifts Maggie up and he finds a flashlight, what is, what does that moment mean to you guys? Oh, uh, honestly, I didn't think about it nearly as much as you did, so it didn't mean shit to me. I was like, okay, yeah, I it, it was one, it was like a glitch. I was like, uh, someone left a prop and they're <laughs> using it because they only got a take a scene. Yeah. That's what it meant to me. It's like <laughs> somebody left this flashlight. Just use it. Just use it. Yeah. I so, cannot say that. On accident, and they just incorporated it. Okay. There's so many like boom mics coming into shots. Like. Yeah. I was just like someone left a prop. That's what I thought. These are actually all great theories, but the actual theory that they think that 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 moment signifies is the fact that Doctor Daniel is the one that killed Maggie because his flashlight is underneath her. And as soon as he picks it up, uh, Max 404 picks it up and he turns it on and flashes the flashlight in his face, they have a voiceover of Dr. Daniel going, flashlight. So then they both say like, well, now it's obvious. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not obvious that that is what you're trying to imply. I never thought that Dr. Daniel had killed Maggie. I thought what? for sure it was fucking Crofton that killed her as Mendez because yeah. he was fucking angry as hell at everyone. So I had no clue. That part is super unclear. So I have to be like, no, guys, that's not clear whatsoever. Uh, honestly, I thought she was asleep. And also, I have to say the way that Mendez dies is for me. Now, I'm glad Mendez dies. But he, like, how does he kill him? Does he snap his neck? Because as soon as he pushes his neck back, 
it sh- when you break a neck, you should just fall and limp to the ground, right? Your your neck breaks, you just fall, right? Ryan, 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 stop making sense. <laughs> Not in space. Not in space. Not in space. Also, how many necks have you broken, Ryan? <laughs> Not many. Not many. Well, I would like considering I I I can I have uh, uh, you know such an affinity for Keller. Clearly, I have never broken a neck. I have never gotten close to breaking a neck in my life. Mr. Mr. So, Crofton. You're going from not many to none. <laughs> to none. To none. But Mr. Crofton, he has his own methods. Okay. All right. Uh, so this is your last scene. This is it. This is your blaze of glory. Yeah. Max and- is going to break your neck. Okay. Okay. How do you want me to do that? <laughs> yeah. And I like- some ideas. I don't need you to have ideas. Uh, I just need you to die, and we can move on to the next scene. Right, he breaks my neck, and like, like, I got. Uh, let me just play with it. Turn the camera on. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, going back to your thing, like they didn't have a lot of takes. Didn't have a lot of takes. And falls to the ground, having his neck snapped. He then <clears throat> arches in pain, using his head for leverage yes. against yes. the floor. Which would yeah. be impossible if you'd had your neck snapped. <laughs> and that, uh, then he died. A great opportunity for me to show off my like my yoga instructor skills. <laughs> you guys know I teach yoga, right? <laughs> Turn the camera on. He breaks your neck. I got it. I got <laughs> no it. one, no one knows that you're a yoga teacher. No one. And that was that. the best take. <laughs> That's the one that the editor's like. This is the best of all of them. We're we going to use it. We got to use it. <laughs> you should have seen the others. Snap. Oh, I've been shot. You, you, you haven't been shot. <laughs> and he didn't shoot you. He oh. broke your neck. Oh, all right. I'll do it again. I'll I do know, it again. I felt like I was shot in that moment. When he's pushing my head back, I felt like I was shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it is like the biggest it is like if you were watching a stage death that just went on for like 15 minutes it is that sort of impact i gotta say all right let's go around things you hated mark uh I, I I honestly I hated the fact that uh, when Maggie got turned off by Max, because uh, I thought it was kind of a rude display of android sexism. Like, look, this is only sixteen years ahead. If you were going to tell me that sixteen years ahead of now, I got to sneak around the back streets of a foreign planet to get my freak on with an android because it's not accepted. By society? Mm. No, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Right. So, you know, I, I just, we, we, I, nope. That's I didn't a fair like point. it. That's a fair point. That is rude. That is it's rude. rude. It's inconsiderate. Yeah. Yeah. Erica? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here because there, there wasn't much that I didn't like about Whoa. this movie. But one thing that I hated. Oof. Okay. I hated that Dr. Daniels was an android. Mm. Mm. I hated that. I really did. I felt like it added nothing 
I would rather have had him be human and be Mm. this weird human loner on his ship with his android friends that he was creating but to have him be the android okay that gives it gives an excuse for his behavior to kind of say well he's kind of well he's a bit weird and by the way this is about the most normal you've ever going to find Klaus Kinski in a movie, <laughs> but he's still super weird, yeah. but he's like the most normal. Yeah. And, and to say like, oh yeah, he, it's fine. Cause he's an Android too. Like yeah, I, I, I can see that. I, didn't I can like see that. that. Yeah. I, I, I didn't yeah. mind it. I didn't mind that moment. And just to let you guys know the moment where they actually are holding his head, all they are doing when they pulled his head off and they're holding his head is his actual head. They just have all of Klaus in a black, like a black curtain over his entire body because the background is black. So yep. uh, that's how they did that effect. So ah. he's just covered in a black curtain. There's a little something around his neck to sort of, you know, and the wires to sort of signify like it being, you know, like a like a, a robot head. Huh. But it's his actual head in those moments where he talks to them with ju- huh. as just the head. Right. <clears throat> uh, yeah. yeah. Tarek, well, things he hated. Just one thing? <laughs> things. 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 Uh, I mean, I, I think my, my biggest, the biggest X is the death of Maggie and the assault of Maggie. Yeah. yeah. I just don't ever need it in a film. Uh, yeah. Like, I already was like, did not, was not a fan of Mendez. And by that point, I was just like, oh, you really got to die. Because um, I actually like Maggie. I like the uh, yeah. I like Jimmy Howard's performance. Yeah, she's uh, actually really good in the movie. Considering this is basically her only real, she, she she's in other movies, but this is like her biggest role, uh, where she actually has lines and everything. I don't think she does much of that in other movies. So like this is, and she's not bad at all. I think she's, she's pretty not, good. She's pretty darn good. She's not bad. She's like it's. I believe that like oh, you're kind of this rascal. Like you know, you're not a bad person, but you haven't had an easy life. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, why not? Why not with Space Jerry? Right. Like, he's charming. He's innocent. And he's not one of these two losers. Right. Uh, so what, and like she's, there's so, there's such a deficit of humanity in the film and she brings it. Right. Uh, so I'm just like, you kill off the person who I actually can kind of relate to because Keller it's a snooze fest. I would like more of Keller, but like he just can't fight. And so he gets knocked out for like the majority of the film. <laughs> um, and He's the other the thing. The voice of reason in a movie ever. Hey, don't do that. Punch in the face. Okay. <laughs> they don't really, I hate that they don't really get into the, they try to establish that there's a love triangle between Keller, Mendez, and Maggie, but. It doesn't. I'm work. trying to figure out what it is. Yeah, it does. That doesn't. If that's what they were going for, that doesn't work at all. It doesn't work. And the thing that really bothered me about uh, the death of Doctor Daniels is, and I agree, I wish he wasn't a robot either. I think it would have been more impactful if, like, he was human and he died the same way. But it would have just been horrible, and like their cold removal of ripping this man's their father's head off for all intents and purposes. But We've established a few rules, right? I'm a rules guy in movies. We've established one of the rules is that as meek or as awkward or as human as these androids seem, they are still badass androids that you want no parts of. Right. And so 
he should still he should have that android strength along with him. You know what I mean? Like, why is he? Why is he deficient? Why does he have the uh, the Keller syndrome? Why can't he fight? <laughs> He's the Keller of androids. <laughs> He's the Keller of androids. He, al- he also, as we established, naps a lot. So he's, you know, <laughs> I think his batteries are getting pretty weak. Is what sure. I'm saying. Well, I would say point. that by the by that example, if he's always if he's always napping, his batteries should be fully charged. He should be ready to go. But he should he's be not. ready to go. He's not. I, no, it's like a laptop battery. You charge it all night after a while, and it it'll only hold a charge for a couple hours. And you got to charge it all night again. And I think that's where he was. He was like an an old Dell laptop that was just starting to lose. Mm-hmm. It's ability, you know, it wasn't as fast as it was. And uh, it's a, you know, it's only two and a half years old, but still, that's what happens sometimes. Let me pitch you this, though. Like, think about this. If they had turned, when they turned Max and they put in a new chip in his head to turn him into Killer Robot Max, if you had not killed Keller, quote unquote, which I guess he's dead, and you had not killed Maggie by mysterious circumstances that we don't. That, that we don't really know, I guess. You walk away thinking you know why she's dead, but you don't, apparently. But it, what if Max had killed all of them? Now, that would have been, I think, crazier, right? Like, it would have been like, oh, shit, because he maybe would have killed Maggie, which, again, I don't like, but he would have killed the girl he actually liked. Imagine that moment. And that would have been sh- intense, and right? He because his chip was replaced, so he should have. He just- can't help himself. He's yeah. going to kill the girl he loves. Think about how terrible that would have been. Yeah, yeah. And of course, okay, he's going to kill, sort of kill, <laughs> kill uh, Mendez, and he's going to have his crazy death. And then he's going to kill Keller in no time because Keller cannot put up a fight to a android. That's for sure. Um, but then he has to kill Maggie. That would have been so like dark and like fuck because he's like the evil robot that that i think was a lost opportunity yeah yeah i mean they're just a bunch like they they make a lot of left turns when like right turn was going right to like more interesting and fun town (laughs) exactly we kill all of these cops oh i'd like to see that no right. so right before we get to our favorite scene I'm gonna jump into the research corner Tarek, feel feel free to jump in when you when you have for your own research because I know yeah. we, we we are competing in this episode but I just wanted to talk briefly because we're gonna get into this in other episodes I wanted to briefly talk about the lumber yard which is where uh, th- this film was shot because Roger Corman, after Star Wars, decided he wanted to have his own studio because he wanted to make science fiction movies. So he bought the Lumberyard as a studio facility. Not only that, he started his own special effects company. So um, so I thought I'd talk about it because this movie really sort of came out and spawned from that. So James Regal was a... He was the co-writer, and he had the idea of to make this movie because... Uh, Corman asked Aaron Lipstadt, who was the production manager of Galaxy Terror, to if he was going to tear down the sets. And he said, no, 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 hold off on the sets. And he asked Alan Holtzman, he said, hey, we have a setup. Write an opening scene for a movie, and it's uh, and you can shoot on these sets over the weekend. 
Okay. And so that, what movie did he shoot? I'm did that become Space Raiders? Tell me it was Space Raiders. It was not Space Raiders. Uh, that the, uh, the hallways at the beginning when uh, the three renegades come in, it looked just like Space Raiders to me. Okay, so that movie becomes Forbidden World, I believe. Okay. So Alan Holtzman says, okay, we got the Galaxy of Terror sets up. So you got the weekend. So write a scene that takes place in this in these sets, and he does so. Uh, now we'll talk about the lumberyard a lot more once you get to Galaxy of Terror and other things. But that made uh, uh, basically made James Regal go, "Oh, I, if we're going to be writing stuff to these sci-fi sets, I should come up with a sci-fi movie." And that's how he starts thinking about writing this particular film. Uh, now they don't shoot those on those sets; they actually created new sets to shoot android but that is how he got the genesis for the idea to to write this movie and of course it came from an idea from his brother as well the uh the idea for android started with his brother and then he wrote the script with with don opper so corman uh decided to build this studio based off of a star wars and it was basically he bought the hammond lumber yard which was on main street in venice he bought it for $3 million for the lot. And he created a 100-foot by 200-foot sound, soundstage. It's a mo- there was a model shop and surrounding editing rooms to make the f- facility a self-contained studio. <clears throat> and he was basically hoping to do Battle Beyond the Stars special effects for about $600,000, but he couldn't find anyone to do that. So he made his own special effects studio. Now, according to Beverly Gray, who wrote an unauthorized autobiography of Roger Corman, she has this to say about the studio. Excuse me. (laughs) 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 Basically, (laughs) basically. Roger's ramshackle studio proved unforgettable to those of us who spent time there. The stages were never properly soundproofed, which is backed up by Aaron Lipstadt's and Don Don Opper's uh, uh, commentary to Android, where they talked about things they put up on the walls because they were trying to soundproof it. And Roger Corman liked a lot of texture there. Uh, And because the studio was directly in the flight path for LA International Airport, it was a challenge when shooting a period piece to avoid the sounds of jets and motorcycles. Ambulances too, because in the slightly unsavory neighborhoods, there was sometimes real shooting going on. When it rained, the roof leaked and Venice derelicts were apt to wander in along with baffled customers who seeing the still existing Hamber Hammond lumber sign came to purchase some two by fours. <laughs> So this is how Android was shot during this kind of situation in a 19-day schedule. That explains Mendez. What's that? That explains Mendez. Two by four. It's going two by four. What are you shooting a movie? I'll be in it. You don't need to be. You don't need to be, sir. Please. Oh, it's too late. Just keep rolling. I'll be in this movie. I'm just asking. I need six two by fours and a box of nails. Uh, okay. We don't. Okay. Just all right. 
so we do now, have that stuff, but okay. The other thing about this movie that made me that I that I really sympathized with is that like New World is obviously a place where a lot of people got their start, right? Like you're talking uh, Martin Scorsese wasn't his first movie, but he he got a, he got to make a movie and, and got a start in here. Francis Ford Coppola got a start in New World. There's a lot of people that got their start. And there's a lot of people that got their start, and there's a lot of people that found their end. A lot more, actually. Okay. Okay. Thank you, New World. Okay. Just wanted to add that from Erica's research corner. <laughs> but there's, well there's a lot of people in this movie who are getting their start. And I just wanted to point out a lot of people that are getting their start. Now, first of all, Aaron Lipstadt, the director, uh, he uh, moves on from this. And they actually make a movie together, Don Opper and him. They make a movie called uh, City Limits in 1985. I've watched part of it. And if you thought that that Android was hard to watch, I present to you 1985 City Limits. Now, I will say that it did have a pretty stellar cast. Like, um, they actually had a, you know, they they did pretty well with that. Um, there's James Earl Jones is in City Limits. Um Don Opper, of course, is in the movie as well. Woo! He plays a uh, a it, and it's like a Mad Max kind of uh, the Warriors hybrid with an apocalyptic country and a guy's trying to join a gang. D- uh, John Stockwell from Christine plays the good buddy. He's Ooh. the main character. We got Radon Chong. Uh, John Deal, Kim Cattrall is in the movie. It actually was uh, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. Oh, wow. Um, and it deserves it. But there's a lot, like if you watch it you and you've watched Android, you're going to be like, okay, okay, this this tracks. But again, James Earl Jones is in the movie and he does a lot of the movie's voiceover. Pretty intense. And, and he's the Newman of that movie. <laughs> right? Definitely. Definitely. From there, Don Opper would go. After City Limits, these guys never work together again, basically. Aaron Lipstadt goes on and he directs TV. He's been directing TV to now. He starts right away at Miami Vice and yeah. he goes to like Bosch. So he's directed episodes of Bosch. So he's yeah. still Miami today. Vice, Quantum Leap, Law and Orders, all the Law and Orders, Miami Vice. He's been around. He's been around. He is a journeyman director. He's directed so much TV. He's working like crazy. Don Opper moves on from this and City Limits, and he goes on and co-writes Critters and the whole Critters franchise. And so he he works on hero. Yeah. Well, he's not the hero. He's not the main character. He's like a guy who keeps. He's like the pilot or something, right? Isn't he? I'm sorry. He's my hero. Well, he starts off. I'm a fan of the Critters franchise. I haven't seen them in so long. I mean, I mean, it's, I'm always the thing to remember for me for Critters, especially the last one, I think, which is primarily in space. Stars Angela Bassett. Oh my God. That's amazing. She was shooting. I think like she shot that either before, right before or like after or during she shot what's love got to do with it. Oh my God. Just to tell you like, what like this business yeah yeah you know but yeah he starts off as like in the first one he starts off as like kind of the he's a nerd 
he's like friends with the kid in the first one and then like becomes one of the space bounty hunters and and like then is like in all three is like this space bounty hunter who started up as a nerd i think it's an amazing arc oh really not too many films have done it's like yeah you know the side character you constantly think is going to die is going to turn into the badass and like be the anchor of the franchise. It's kind of brilliant. There is a uh, four movie box set, uh, which is on the way to this house. Eric is so excited. <laughs> so I haven't seen Critters in forever. I know I haven't seen the Critters sequels. And there's a new Critters TV show, which I don't think Don Opper is in at all and not involved with. But D. Wallace comes back. So there's that. But uh, beyond those two, we also have in the show, Stephen Herrick is one of the assistant editors. Now, Stephen Herrick would go on to direct Critters. He also would direct, uh, direct a movie everyone will be a little bit more familiar with, which is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I've never heard of it. Oh, well, it, yeah, okay. There's a movie coming out. There's, a, there's, a, there's another sequel to that movie that's coming out, I think, just mm-hmm. this month. It's well, anyway, Mark, I'll, I'll tell you about that off air. But, um, he's he was an assistant editor on this movie, he was also an assistant editor on uh City Limits, and then he was an apprentice editor on Slumber Party Massacre and Space Raiders, Stephen mm. Herrick. So that he really got his start going through the Corman system. Now those uh, are movies I know, <laughs> right. John Carl uh, Buchler, who is the director of Friday the 13th, part seven. He was also a done, did a lot of horror effects, and he was the special effects makeup designer. I think there's a photo of him on IMDb with the Klaus Kinski head, so I have a feeling that he he dealt primarily with that scene. James Cameron, as we talked about before, designed the ship. He did other design work. He had just come off of his debut, Piranha Two, in Piranha. Italy, and was and was dead broke. The director says so. He was looking to to make a lot some money. So that's why he worked on the movie. Rachel Talalay, who directed Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. It's a good she one. a cop at the very tail end of the movie. She's the only female cop that comes in at the tail end. Is that One's- the 3D part? <laughs> There's a 3D part to Android? I don't no, mean- no. I, 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 I was talking about Freddy's Dead. I thought no, that's no. where we were going. No, no, no. We're talking about this movie. She plays a cop at the very tail end when it's just Cassandra and Max 404. She Got so it. She play, and she was also the film's production accountant, which she also was for Black Moon Rising, which we will get to in this podcast. Um, and she was an assistant production manager on Space Raiders. Furthermore, the DP, Tim uh, Surstit, he was also the DP on Forbidden World, and he is still working uh, to this day he also shot Suburbia, Teen Wolf, and Critters. And one of the most recent credits he has, he also DP'd, I'm sorry, Mystic Pizza, which was also written by Amy Holden Jones, who directed Slumber Party Massacre. And his latest credit is Always Be My Maybe, which is which is on Netflix. So he is still out there working and all that. Wow. Um, so just to show you just a little bit of the reach of just this movie, wow. how many people are worked on this, just this crazy obscure movie, Android, are still out there working to this day. All right, let's get to final, or, or, sorry, our favorite scene. Let me start that over. Everybody, Let's get to our favorite scene. 
in Android. Let's start with our guest, Tarek. What was your favorite scene? Favorite scene in Android. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to beat. It's hard. It's, to hard, pick. it's hard to pick. I, I, I guess I'm just gonna go for. I think my favorite scene is the when he goes to kill Mendez and Mendez picks up a robot hand and throws at him and he catches it and then just throws it and it sticks in the wall. And I go, <laughs> and I was like, I was legit impressed. I was like, oh, this is from performance, from execution. Like it's a very well done scene. Uh, it's threatening, like him coming through the door. It's, it's terrifying from going from the sweet android to like a murder machine who is going to kill you. I'm like, oh, this is a that sequence. It all and it ends with me seeing someone who I actually want to see die. So I would have to say that's my favorite scene. Mark, your favorite scene? Uh, <clears throat> I I mean, there's a lot. There's many favorite scenes. There's many that I love. Uh, the lunch or the dinner sequence in the Los Angeles Arboretum uh, with the BBs. I just, I found that hilarious. And the fact that Maggie's like eating uh, 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 what rice cakes, as, like, cause that was like futuristic food at that time. Like, wow, that's an amazing food. How, how do you make that? Uh, but I also have to, it's a very brief part of a scene but there's a scene that it's trying to intimate that Dr. Daniel is giving Cassandra a pap smear. And I was like, why would that happen? But <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm going to give that one the ultimate wink. Like I, okay, sure. Well, we don't know how well and well crafted he made her vagina. You know what I mean? Is it, but she was the perfect woman, so apparently was an exceptional <laughs> Well, there were several scenes that passed after that that I don't remember because I was still trying to think through, like, what would that be like? And she's got her legs in stirrups. Anyway, so uh, that's the favorite scene, the pap smear scene. Erica, your favorite scene? <laughs> Sorry, just still cracking up that Mark's favorite scene was the android pap smear. <laughs> just, just processing that. If there's one thing that android taught me, it's that we all have our kinks. And <laughs> it, that's okay. <laughs> Erica, your favorite scene? Um, oh, God. It's so hard to pick a favorite because I... Uh, I, again, genuinely enjoyed this movie. I, I think I'll have to go with uh, Max packing for his big trip. Yeah, that's a good because one. Because it was just so <laughs> adorable and hilarious. And, you know, again, bittersweet because he does pack things that you're like, oh, Max. You don't sweet. need that on Earth. <laughs> you're not, not going to need that. Just, you know, right. it's, and, it, and it also made it seem... You know, what I liked about that, too, at, at that point was you weren't sure if he was going to make it or not, you know, and it kind of felt like he was packing and he was so excited. But in the back of your mind watching it, you're like, but is he even going to make it to Earth? And he's so excited. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, 
What's that? Said he may not make it. It is a uh, yeah. It that it does have that little bit of dread in it that makes it a more enjoyable film when he does get there. I I'm still I I really enjoyed and I know we've had some uh, varied opinions on this scene, but I really didn't know that uh, Klaus Kinski was going to be an android, and I kind of enjoyed that. I mean, maybe I was just wrapped up in Don Opper's performance that I didn't think much about it. But uh, I enjoyed that scene where they just he and Cassandra decided to to rip up the Keller of all androids and rip off his head. And I don't know, I I didn't see that one coming. So I I, I enjoy that scene in terms of a favorite scene. I enjoyed that scene. It was a bit of a it was a mystery I didn't know. There's still apparently was a mystery on how a couple of those prisoners died. Didn't really feel like I understood that, but. This was one that was kind of a mystery to me. So that would be my favorite, favorite, favorite scene. So let's go into our, uh, our, one of our closing segments here, which is called pairings. This is where we, we've had some problems with this segment. I'm not going to lie, but it is, it's one of our favorite, uh, favorite new segments. We've really enjoyed this one where we basically take a movie and we decide what we would pair it with. Uh, and this is done on a lot of movie podcasts. Let's not yeah. let's not kid ourselves. What this movie is pretty, would you pair this, this is, with? This is not on common ground. In fact, yeah. I think in uh, a double feature at the drive-in. What's what's your right. pairing? What's your pairing? In fact, you know, shouts to uh, Pure Cinema Podcasts who who do this all the time with directors and um, and they they call it pairings as well. And so we're just you know we're gonna pick a movie that we're gonna put next to Android as a perfect sort of double feature. Um, Tarek, uh, do you have a, a, a pairing that you'd like to put for Android? Ooh, I've been thinking of one. Uh, I, I, um, all right. So if this was like, if we were still buying DVDs in like the $5 bin rack and like there was that two for five, who would I put this with? Okay. That's a good way to put it. That is a really good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, who would I put Android with? I don't know if it would. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you guys an Amsterdam reference of the Zalt and Zoot. A little <laughs> sugar and salt. For those who are uninitiated, like that's what they like to do. They like to put uh, M&Ms in their popcorn. <laughs> yep. you know, the contrast. So I, I want to I contrast this film. Mm. I'm going to give it a contrast. Right? You're going expecting a space. You're going. You think you're going to be in space, seeing a space adventure, and you don't get that. You get a. You get a Seinfeld morality tale in space, right? But you want that space adventure, but you're not going to get it in space. You're going to get it here, on terra firma, with "I Come in Peace," starring Dolph Lundgren and Brian Benben. Oh, oh my. But you go in pieces. <laughs> that's, wow. that's the tag. And that's what I'm, I'm sticking with it. Oh, I come I come in peace. That is a terrific pairing. Wow. Uh Erica, what would you put for your pairing for Android? Oh, uh, hands down, I would pair Android with weird science. Just, Easily. Just, just because they both are yeah, from they both, science? Yep. And they both make ladies and Okay. It, there's know. okay. It goes awry. <laughs> things right. don't things don't go as planned. Science is unexpected. That's right. Now, uh, 
I, I, I actually watched this movie again just to make sure that this pairing was correct. For my pairing, I picked John Carpenter's Starman because I was, again, taken with Don Opper's performance of Max. And while it's certainly different, Jeff Bridges as an alien who takes over or really replicates the body of Karen Allen's dead husband it's so it's still such a good movie and obviously i am a huge i'm a huge carpenter fan um but this is like one of his i just i think it's still it holds up it's just really good like carpenter is it's a hell of a film uh i i respect both your choices i just wanted to chime in because i feel like starman specifically uh, I love Weird Science, Erica. I think it's a bold choice, an amazing choice. <laughs> but Starman, I watched that movie recently. Not only does it still hold up, I'm like, you could can make a sequel to this. Like, you don't have to reboot it. Like, you can just seamlessly continue the storyline. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Especially, like, for today, like, uh, the child that Karen Allen was left with that was supposed to be yeah. a leader of men. Like, right. Was that child or right. is that child just like playing video games? Like what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like a stoner burnout, like living <laughs> in the desert. You, you know, you got these power man powers. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I used my burning man once. He didn't go over well. <laughs> exactly. He uses that one like little like orb or whatever, just to like light a bong one night. They're like, no, that was the one orb. <laughs> You, you could have. Would like, you, would you leave your space balls? Ah, <laughs> oh, sold them. Was it supposed to keep those? <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think Starman is still so good. I, I had forgotten how good that movie is, and the performances in it are just awesome. Like really, really good. Um, so that's my pairing, Mark. What is your pairing for Android? Nastasia Kinski. Okay, great. Uh, in, in what movie? In what movie do you mean? No, I'm just saying she is the daughter of Klaus Kinski, so that's a great pair. No, no. Uh, okay, no. Okay, that's great. But like, <laughs> no, we're talking about a movie that you need to put with. Uh, with so you put another movie with Android. So that she bold was choice. Movies, like bold you know. choice. I agree, hundred oh, percent. No. <laughs> I mean, she was married to Quincy Jones. Okay, wow. what more do you need? I did not know that. Uh-oh. But... Mark's trying to dip into the research. Dipping his toe in. Just saying. No, like that. that That right there is another great pair. So you got two great pairs out of me. Tarek, don't encourage him. But Mark, what movie that she was in would you possibly... Because you have Kinski and Kinski. She's in a bunch of movies. What would you... What, what, what... If that's a movie, I'm buying the ticket. Kinski and Kinski. Forget it. Forget it, Mark. Forget okay. it. You're not good at that. Okay. All right, Mark. Seriously, listen to this podcast and figure out how we do this bit. This is, okay, this is frustrating. But Damn whatever. it, Mark. Go for it. All right, never mind. All right, so, all right, Tarek, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us where people can find you and plug what you got going on. Yeah, um, thank you. This has been a blast. Um Places where you can find me. You can find me. Uh, I have a podcast with two friends of mine, uh, Lamar McLean and Don Hooper, uh, called Brothers from Another Planet. 
you can find that if you just follow me on the socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm Tarek R. Davis at Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can also find me. I'm a performer with Freestyle of Supreme. Um, I'm not in the documentary, or at least I don't think I am, but uh, we are still performing uh, virtually, and uh, we will be performing once again um, once we figure this whole virus thing out, but we're teaching virtual classes and doing that virtual space thing, and it's been pretty cool. Um, that's awesome. Cool. You got to let us know when that's happening because we got to check that out. Absolutely. And uh, I have another uh, something I can't officially announce yet, but you'll be seeing seeing me and other stuff. You could also Ooh, catch me uh, on um, the Eliza Slushing sketch show on Netflix. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yes, you are. We've seen we've seen your episodes. Thank you. Uh, um, that's it for me. This has been so much awesome. fun. Thank you. Thank you, Tarek. And as for us, you can find uh, the New World Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook if you're on That Old Dinosaur. And you can find us wherever good podcasts are uh, available, including uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, um, Spotify. You can find us almost anywhere podcasts are available, but mainly those three. You can also write us at info at newworldpodcast.com we read a letter in our last bonus episode so please reach out we want to hear from you and thank you so much for listening to the new world podcast see you next time